0: Talk that talk, and I'm your host, Fallon Stokes. I have a special guest today, LaChina Robinson, a champion for women and broadcasting. Welcome, LaChina.
1: Oh, hey, Fallon. Hey, Tab. So happy
0: uh-huh. to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you. And we also have a special guest host again, Tabitha Turner, joining the podcast. So, welcome, Tab. Thanks for joining Ooh. again. Well, you need to fix the inflection in your voice. Welcome, Tab. Tab. <laughs>
2: She wasn't
0: as sorry when she said your name like she was No, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Tab, you know, sometimes you're the thorn in my side. I love you. Is.
2: I love you, my Aries friend.
0: I love you too, sis. So
2: Wait, both that, of you Aries? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. That's
0: probably why we fight. right. Ooh. Uh, man, but LaChina, so you were born in Boston. I didn't know that. And grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, right? Yeah. I thought you were from Barbados. <laughs>
1: Me too. Well, my family's from Barbados. So my um on my mom's side, my my grandmother's first generation American. Okay. So uh my great grandparents were born in Barbados and Jamaica. Okay. Okay. We- my mother lived in Barbados for 10 years. That's why a lot of people think that I'm like actually from, from there. But um, she went back to, to visit quite often in her adult life and ended up um, marrying um, my stepdad, David, who's now deceased, who's from Barbados. And she moved in for like 10 years. So I felt like I was from there a little bit, you know?
0: Yeah, like Rihanna's cousin over in Barbados. <laughs> That's
1: what I'm trying to get. That Rihanna connection. Like, yes. You know, a little Fenty hookup.
0: All I know she's doing it big. Um, But I read something about you wanted to be a cheerleader as a kid, but you were six, four and then decided to start playing basketball. So you were pretty much a late bloomer in basketball. You started in high school.
1: Oh, yeah. I started in like ninth grade. And that's probably why I was not as good of a player as you or Tabitha. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I wanted to be a cheerleader when I was young, you know wanted to fit in, wanted to do what, it, what the rest of my friends were doing, but my body, my flexibility, my coordination, none of that was cut out for cheerleading. <laughs> so, um, you know, I quit and then basketball i had tried and it was like, nah, not really. But, um, one day when I was in the ninth grade, this guy, he kept coming to my house up six, four. So he's like, you know, you need to be playing basketball. And he told my mom, I could get a free education.
0: Dropped me off at practice, never came back to get me. That was it. Yeah, once parents hear about that scholarship money, you're going to be playing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, you end up going to Wake Forest where you were all ACC, all ACC freshman year and then um, also left Wake Forest um, as third all-time in blocks, I think 15th in rebounding. So you had a good career there and then transitioned to working for the ACC for a bit and then eventually got to Georgia Tech. So that's how we became reacquainted. I played against you a couple of seasons. But then you were working with women's basketball. So I got to know you, I think, my senior year when you came to Tech. Yes. Um, we really play against each other. Bad. I don't think you're that old. See, I stay young. Yes. <laughs> but no. Um, I got to Tech in 2000, so I think you left Wake Forest in 2002, right? Yeah, so
3: we were there a couple years,
0: were Yeah, right. so I remember trying I remember trying to shoot over you to try I, to the paint.
1: I do remember the Nisha Butler days at Georgia Tech, like it was yesterday. And, oh yeah, I played against Alex, so mm-hmm. for sure. I forgot, yeah, so yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you started to get your broadcasting legs a bit, working with uh, Richard Muster on the Georgia Tech radio for women's basketball. Um, And then it just transitioned into working for ESPN, becoming an analyst, working for The Dream as an analyst, sideline reporting, doing radio and television for Fox Sports. And now you're huge with the WNBA. You know, you've worked the finals, you work worked games, you broadcast for college women's basketball, Final Fours. You've done it all the time. But I know you're an advocate for women, and you also like to speak, go to engagements, symposiums as well as any type of conference, just to give your knowledge to young women of color. So that's just a little bit about your background. Again, we're happy to have you, but just tell us a little bit. You did start talking about your basketball journey, but tell us a little bit about your journey going to Wake Forest.
1: Yeah, so um, my mom and I were pretty, I mean, we were very new, obviously, to the college scene as it pertains to student athletes and that whole process of being recruited and everything. Like, my mother did graduate from college, she went to GW. Um, and so, you know, she was familiar, obviously, huge on education. But, um, you know, I was recruited by a few schools, not very many, because, again, I was not very good, but I was tall, which helped. And thought I was going to Clemson, thought I was going to go to FAMU, thought I was going to go to, where else did I go? JMU and then settled on Wake Forest because it was small in size, great education. I could play in the ACC. I need to be somewhere, you know, where I could kind of be focused. FAMU was not going to keep me focused. So, um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a perfect fit. And obviously, it's a tough transition, you know, going to a predominantly white school. Um Socially, financially, so many different ways. So I was challenged, like you could never believe, especially coming from you know uh, an area that's very diverse. Um, I'm one of 15 children. I was the first child to go to college, um, and so you know it was it was a difficult adjustment, but it was a life changing experience. I think at Wake Forest, I realized that I could. Um, You know, fit in with different spaces, communicate with different types of people. Obviously, you learned all the lessons through basketball, discipline, goal setting, all those things. And I never reached my potential on the court. And I had to just come to the realization that I loved to compete. But I did not love basketball, like playing it. And that, I know it's weird to hear that, but like I wasn't one of those kids that was going to go out at midnight and, and shoot on my own. Like, I'm going to go to practice. I'm going to do what I need to do. And then I'm going to go paint my nails or do something else. Right. <laughs> um, so playing wasn't for me, but I definitely loved the game. I loved watching it, loved other aspects of it. So that's kind of been the driving force behind my career.
2: China, I wish she would have told me that back in college because Latina was my pip and we'll get into this in a second. But she's one of my mentors. Um, she's one of my mentors at Georgia Tech. And that was one of my things. You know, I never really fully reached my my basketball potential on the court in college due to, you know, knee injuries and things like that. Um, but I also wasn't one of those people that were going to go in at midnight and shoot the basketball and be as dedicated, which was on me. But one of the things that I did focus on was my education at Georgia Tech. Um, And I decided to go into engineering and I bounced back between a few majors. But you majored in sociology. So how did you come to major in sociology? And how does that play into your career now?
1: Yeah. um, So I kind of came into college thinking I wanted to be Fallon. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to get a law degree. You know, I'm going to study law. And I was like, all right. then they told me kind of the course layout and all the reading and writing I was going to have to do. And I was like, so you mean I'm not just going to be arguing in class? Like, (laughs) never mind that. Um, And then I was like, "Okay, well, maybe I'll try psychology because I had watched some shows on TV and I see how people lay on the couch and they tell you their problems. And I've always wanted to help people. So I was like, all right, let's try psychology. Barely passed the intro class. So then it was down to, OK, let's see what kind of courses you're actually interested in. So I started looking at some of the titles and I ran across one major that had um, the sociology of sport, death and dying, marriage in the family, social inequality, like all of these like subject matters that hit home with me. And it was a sociology major. No clue what I was going to do with it after. But I figured, listen anything that I would really seriously commit, like considering doing, I was going to have to go to school after undergrad anyway. So I might as well enjoy my undergrad curriculum. And I did that in in sociology, but I definitely graduated not knowing what I was about to do.
0: Mm, I know how that can feel. Uh, Going to Georgia Tech, honestly, I always did know I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't know why, but I knew because lawyers made a lot of money at the time when I was younger. (laughs) And I just but thought you guys, it, was
1: a good you job. it because even after <laughs> we saw I mean both of y'all, first of all, like the the, the brilliance of an engineer and right. like, an lawyer, like that's just incredible, like what you guys have done and how you stuck with your discipline. Like Tab knew what she wanted to do, you knew what you wanted to do. I thought I knew, but once I found out all the work that y'all don't have to do, I was like, <laughs> I'm out. So um, you know, that's that's that's
0: awesome what both of you have done. Yeah, I'll say that. Hooping at Tech and an engineering degree, Tab, that's that's a tough one. But I know this is a question that Tab, he she wants to piggyback on, too. So she did mention that she was your pip when you were at Tech. So just talk about a little bit, like, what that entailed. How did that affect you and just helping the young women transitioning from high school, coming to college, and going through the ups and downs of college athletics? Just to talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So my thought was when I graduated, I just wanted to stay close to the sport of basketball. That's all I knew. You know, I wanted to stay close to basketball and administration looked like my first open door. Um, I had gotten an internship at the ACC, worked with some different schools in the conference, met Mary McElroy. And after my internship was. Oh, up College, yeah, Shout out to Mary, who's now back now at the ACC. But Mary hired me um, to be the administrative assistant for recruiting for, you know, Michelle Joseph, who was actually in her first year at that time at Georgia Tech. So, you know, I was going to stay around the game of basketball. But once I got around you guys, like I realized my purpose was much bigger than just the game. Like here I was surrounded by these young women who were going through the college experience, many of them leaving home for the first time. Um, You know, that age between 17, 18 and 21, 22, those are shady years. And I just found this this real fulfillment in being there for you guys, like whether it was things going on on the court, off the court. You know, I tried to stay away from practice. So if things <laughs> happen over there, I could be a new voice for you when you came back. Um, but just all of the things that I knew that you, you guys would need, not just as basketball players or as students, but as as women, as young black women. And that continues to be the anchor of what I do even today. is like it yes, it's basketball. yes, I may be doing a speaking engagement, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to open doors for more young black women. I'm trying to um, give them a visual of what is possible. I am still trying to you know mentor when I can um, through my program Rising Media Stars and just other ways. so, I feel like you can have a career, but you really also need a purpose. And mm-hmm. no matter what the actual action is you're doing, the purpose that grounds you, that fulfills you, is the thing that will wake you up every day. And for me, it's been, you know, what can I do for women and what can I do for young women of color?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I can, I can vouch for that because to this day, I mean, you were my pip when I came to Georgia Tech at 18. I'm 33 and you're still Basically, my sister mentor slash Pip, like you're still helping because in college, I mean, you would mentor me on uh, man problems with the X, the X in college, basketball issues. There used to be issues with my like classes and sticking with my major at Tech because the the whole theme of Tech is to get out, especially if you're an engineering major because it's just that hard. And then going through my career as an engineer and a broadcaster you've been along that same line. Like me and Fallon both started with radio at Georgia Tech and then moved on ACC. And, you know, I, I had so much fun and I learned so much with the dream, being the sideline reporter for two years with you and Bob. And even to this day, you know, we met for tacos a couple months ago and you were giving me some advice on relationship stuff. So to this very day, China continues to mentor through her program and – individually as like my big sister and my friend. So thank you for that. Um, You have no idea what it means, but I just wanted to slip that in there. Oh, thanks,
1: Tad. Well, to be honest with you, that's the most important work that I do work, right? Like... (laughs) my hope is that whatever we all go through as individuals that we can use to reach back and help someone else. Like everything you've been through, I've been through something similar to some degree, you know what I mean? So when you reach those moments and I've been at those points in my life where I didn't know what to do or thought I was at my breaking point or I was depressed or, you know, had a career situation happening and there's nothing like sitting down with someone who genuinely cares and can say, listen, you're going to make it through this (laughs) because I've definitely needed that. So, you know, it's like seeing you grow, tap, and, and just being able to be a very close part of your journey is, is honestly one of the best parts of my career, if you say.
0: Oh, that's so sweet. And on my podcast, look at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but LaChida, you just like exude this confidence. you always had this swag since I've known you of just being confident, beautiful, 6'4", And just, you know, really being confident and loving yourself. So just tell us, like, how has that taught you? Or did you always have this swag? Or is it something that you've grown to have as you've grown in adulthood?
1: Well, first of all, no one has ever mentioned the word swag in the same sentence with my name. So (laughs) I (laughs)
3: Um,
1: I don't feel that way. You know, like, I feel super clumsy. Like, I'm silly. I'm very, you know. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's great to hear that that's what people see, but I don't always feel that way. Um, I will say that I think the confidence that I have professionally definitely comes from just repetition and, um, you know, the work that goes into preparation. You know, my, my, my thing is always that preparation builds confidence. And anytime I have done my due diligence, done my work, whether it be on myself doing work, Um, You know, self-care, being intentional about my growth, or it's the work and studying for a game and getting ready for, you know, a matchup or whatever, like preparation is confidence. You can walk into any situation when you've built the foundation and you've done the work and feel good about, you know, who you are. But finding my voice is still something I'm doing. Like, I'll be honest Mm -hmm. with y'all. You know, I, I probably felt five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago that I knew who I was and I knew everything. I'm finding a new layer of myself every day. Um, I am finding things I love about myself every day. I'm finding things about myself that I need to work on every day. So um, to me, it's a it's a process of evolution that just never really ends, but I am enjoying it. And that's the, that's the biggest part is there are going to be mistakes, missteps, all of those things, but the confidence comes in knowing that you're on the right path. And for me, that's you know grounded in my faith and God knowing that whether things work out for my good or it's a bad day that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And so
2: while I appreciate that, it's still very much a journey for, for me. <laughs> that topic of self-care has been kind of resonating with women and Black women, especially um, during these days. So when you say self-care what types of things are are you referring to? Like, is it spa day? Is it going to get your nails? Like, what what kind of self-care things do you do? And what do you suggest for when those moments come when we're feeling overwhelmed, what we should do and how we should feel and who we should reach out to?
1: Yeah, that's a good question Tab. I mean, what I'm finding is self-care
3: is a full-time job. (laughs)
1: Um, You know, and, and I would suggest everything from therapy, To, I mean, for me, it's like I like to go get a two hour massage every once in a while. But self-care is also what you do with your mind. It's daily forgiveness. It's replenishing yourself, like, um, you know, allowing yourself to forget about mistakes or past hurts. It's like actually doing that work every day. It's reminding yourself that um, you know, you're capable and, you know, whether that's affirmations or I, I like to meditate, I've started to do more meditating. I have an app actually that I use that I really like. It's called the shine app and it does cost money. I can't even remember how much I paid for it, but it's a, it's an excellent app that is like, especially for women, it's curated for, for a very diverse group of women. And so I can wake up and listen to an eight or seven minute meditation. That's about, um, what was the one that I just listened to? I want to say it was about oh empathy, self empathy, mm-hmm. like how we empathize for everyone else, but we often don't have that same empathy for ourselves. Um, you know, self care can be making sure you're taking vacations like you're supposed to. It can be you know whatever it is you like to do. For me, it was going to church. I really miss going to church, and that's a piece of my self care that you know with the with the COVID times I haven't been able to to do. And so. It's there's multiple layers um, when it comes to how to take care of yourself, and you may find different ways every day, every week that you're like, okay, I need to add this. You know, um, I need to get my prayer closet because that's yeah. self care for me too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and it's also setting boundaries is a form of self care, saying no. Um, you know, making sure you're keeping healthy relationships around you. So it, it's it's very it's multi layered, and I guess my advice would just be don't be afraid to try new forms of self-care, but definitely making sure that every day you're working on it because you wake up one day and it can smack you in the face and you'll be in a hole that you can't get out of. And I've been there.
0: That's some great advice. Um, But just moving on to um, your rising media stars, Uh, you co-founded Um, and that's been your baby for quite some time, but you've been helping a lot of women and especially women of color just transition to see if they're serious and want to pursue a career in broadcasting. So talk a little bit about what your program offers and the work that you've done in the community since you started
2: the program.
1: Yeah, um, Rising Media Stars really just started out of of a need and a conversation. So my co-founder, Kevin Nixon, It's a guy who works in production. He's an awesome guy. He has his own like production company, does film editing. And I would say pretty much since the day I started with the dream in 2008, which was kind of my first um, like major opportunity that wasn't radio. Right. So I started on radio with Richard and then in 2008, I got the, the dream opportunity, started on radio, but then next year went to TV. But since when I first started, I started getting emails immediately from young women saying, hey, I want to do what you're doing. Um, Can I pick your brain sometime? Can I shadow you? Can we have coffee? And so I would just, you know, one at a time, like, sure, come, let's go. You know, come shadow, come do this. And Kevin, at the same time, was giving young women opportunities with his production company to come to like the dream games. And he would record them doing stand ups and then they would have film for their reel. And one of the things that I noticed in my transition into broadcasting, which was not traditional at all, like the number of places, and I'm sure i told both of you this before that I showed up and they're like, um, so did you major in broadcasting? And I was like,
3: no.
1: Look, did you major in communications? No. Do you have any experience?
3: No.
1: So, <laughs> you know, in that process of trying to get my foot in the door, I realized that, wow, had I had some... a reel had I had some some practice opportunities to give someone and say oh you know this is what I did and I can actually speak on camera and I know what I'm talking about like I would have been in much better place right Um, instead I started the YouTube Michelle Joseph show which if y'all ever have time please (laughs) let me write that down go to YouTube just Google Michelle Joseph show and y'all will see me looking real crazy but anyway so I um I created Rising Media Stars, and we created Rising Media Stars to give young women that gap experience. Like, okay, we partnered with the Atlanta Falcons, the Hawks, um, United in the Dream, and these young women actually get to go to the games and uh, act as a sideline reporter. Like, they do get to do stand-ups, they get to do interviews, and so this is... Like not only can they use this on their reel, but I'm also there giving them one on one feedback and whether that's OK, get, get your inflection up or your tone or, you know, you bob your head to the side or you need to give me more substance about the game or you're using too many stats, like trying to use my experience to to help them figure out you know how it all works. So that's the major part of the program. We also do some in-classroom sessions where we talk about how to ask questions and how should you dress and, you know, all those things. And so really it's just a family community that you can lean on. Um, The young women in our program, I can't even begin to tell y'all, they are just, we've got some fantastic young women that are smart and Mm -hmm. driven and determined. And so, um, yeah, we're in our second class right now. We did have to delay our class this year because of COVID, but our hopes is even if they don't come out of this and get a job in broadcasting, that they come out of this feeling more well confident about their ability to stand in front of anyone and to speak and to be effective and that they have a sisterhood of women, black women, women of color that um, are there for them.
2: And I remember um, during one of that, that last season with the dream that we both were with them, Dora was actually one of your... Um, rising media star students and she went on to be with the Bucks as their sideline reporter and does an amazing job with them. But I just remember at the same time that you're giving Zora advice in between my hits you like you need to fix that. <laughs> you need to give me <laughs>
3: I no, got it. Yes. I, I,
1: I, I felt so bad for you and Angel because I swear, like, you know, I mean, it's just innate in me. Like, you know, I watch you guys and I want you to be better or, you know, whatever you're doing. So, like, I'm watching you like afterwards, like, don't forget to do this. You know, so, I'm so sorry. That was like,
2: no, no, but that's that's the kind of stuff that we need because it's going to be hard. Um, And Fallon, we know this too. This is a hard industry to be in and to get into. And with rising media stars, there is an the age cutoff, um, which it needs to be. But for someone like like me, who's in their 30s and switching careers and is exploring this option without a communications degree, and this applies to both me and Fallon as well, because Fallon being an attorney, she got into broadcasting. Me being an engineer got into broadcasting. But it's so hard without that communication degree, like you said, to get in. So what advice do you give older women, um, when it comes to trying to break into this career, and what how should they start?
1: Yeah, well, first let me just say this: Rising Media Stars only has a has a minimum age limit, so you have to, be wow. ready, but you can be any age over twenty one as long as you're legal. Then
3: you can be a part of the program.
1: But you're, you're, you're way too advanced for Rising Media Stars. So, uh, what I would say is it's really about consistent networking and consistent like pounding down the doors. So like once you get a contact of any of any kind that could get you whether it's ACC network or some Fox regional station or whatever like have a list of people and it's like clockwork like every, you know, month, every two months, every three months, whatever, you know, it is or whatever you have to do to kind of stay top of mind because broadcasting is weird where if like someone may say in March, oh gosh, yeah, Tab, like I really wanna wanna bring her in and make sure, you know, when our season's over, we have her at the top of our list. If the season's over in September and they've gotten four, five more reels since then, they forgot about Tab, right? And so it's really staying top of mind. It's also trying to find ways, like I can't even explain to you guys how intentional it really is. It almost sounds a little bit when I when I say it out loud. It's like, okay, am I a stalker? Now, I'm not emailing people every week or even every day. But if I know that someone I've been emailing is getting ready to be down the street in an event and they're speaking on a panel, I'm probably going to show up. Just so you can see me in person. Just so you can meet me. Just so we can have another like um, touch point. Because it comes down to trust. And whether that's someone that they know trusts you or they've seen you enough that they can trust you or they've watched your brand and social media. And they know that if anything happens in women's basketball, like you're going to be on top of it. And so that's somebody we need to have involved. Like those are the kind of things you want people to be saying about you when you're not in the room, like, you know, Oh, Oh yeah. I met her at so-and-so she's great. And she stayed in touch with me. And Oh, I just got her new reel. And you know, those are the kind of things that um, you know, definitely count, but it is, it is it is a, it is a, especially for black women, it's very different. Let me just say that. It's very, very different from black women. It's hard to get opportunities It's hard to make those network connections, especially because it's mostly white men in positions that are hiring. And there's no place for us to really interact with white men, to be honest, because we're not in their friend circles. We're not, you know, on their short list. We're not their old boss's Mm -hmm. niece because their boss wasn't black. So, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a chain of events. But again, it just comes back really to a tenacity. And yeah, I spent two years of people telling me there's no way you're ever going to be on television anytime soon because you don't even have experience. You've never done this. But when you work on your craft, OK, when I tell you I was on my couch with my phone, practicing my stand ups and sending them to random people and tell them to tell me if I sound too you know, high pitched or, you know, do I look nervous or, you know, like just those the practice that goes into it like it, it's a, it's a grind. It is. And I could I would love to say everyone's path is the same, but it's not. Everyone's path is different. But if you have a passion for it and you're willing to work like really, really grind for it. Yeah. Things may not still go your way, but you can give yourself every opportunity to reach that goal. And I was not willing to give up on it. I mean, even if I'm sitting right in front of y'all right now at 39 years old, had not yet hit where I wanted to be in broadcasting, I'd probably still be be trying just Mm. because. That's
0: who I am. Mm. Now that's keeping it real. And I think that's great advice for broadcasting and just in life. Like if you are really passionate about anything, it's about the grind and the work. And um, you're right. Black women, we're going to talk about that a little bit later too, but just in general, like we have to be so much more creative to get our foot in the door for a lot of things. just to be in the conversation uh, for jobs or positions. So I think that's key that you just said that, but moving on, like about, the WNBA this season. So we're in a pandemic. It's a bubble. It's it's, it's craziness, madness. But they still had a season, which I think was fantastic. We needed sports this summer. I think I needed it. Um, But it was a, a, a decision to go and play, but playing for social injustice and using that platform to send a positive message. So, you know, you had um, WNBA teams, players taking a stance, you know, wearing – Fallen uh, women of either police brutality or racial injustice on the back of jerseys. You had Black Lives Matter on the court. Um, Just talk about a little bit of just of how impactful that was for this season and then having to play a season in a bubble at IMG down in Florida.
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, just major props to the WNBA, to the Players Association for even having a season. You know, I was one in the beginning who was like, I'm not sure if this should happen because I was concerned about health. I was concerned about what was happening in our country. And the WNBA found a way to do it safely with zero positive coronavirus tests, um, while, in my opinion, making the biggest statement of any sports team any professional sports team over the summer in in terms of their fight for social justice. Um, You know, I was not in the bubble in Bradenton. I was in another bubble in Connecticut, but um, you know, from what the conversations I've had with players and people that were there, like it was, it was tough. If you can imagine like being in this place where you can't go anywhere Your family is at home, possibly dealing with COVID. Whether that's one family, remember moved, removed, or a friend, or something that's happening, the fear that just took over our nation around this pandemic, and then we had the racial pandemic that was Mm -hmm. taking place at the same time. And whether it was Jacob Blake shooting or Breonna Taylor just feeling like there's nothing you can physically do, not even wrap your arms around your father or your sister or your brother to say everything's okay. And so I, I, I don't know how mentally the players and everyone survived that time because I was challenged and I was not even there. Um, So just, um, you know, major shout out for, for what they did and getting everything done. But Fallon, you know, to me, the WNBA is is 80% black women. And Mm -hmm if anyone was most affected by everything that happened and it has happened really in 2020, it's been the black woman going back to, um, you know, when the pandemic started is like, okay, you know, black people are most vulnerable to this disease and we're the ones that don't have the proper health care. And, you know, the mothers and the sisters were often the take the caretakers for, for mm-hmm. family members who may fall ill. Um, And then on, on the racial side of things, there's not a better voice for social justice than the Black woman because we're disrespected. We're forgotten. We are voiceless. We are paid less. We are valued less. Like At every level, we are considered less in this country. And so it is nothing for the police to storm in and kill Breonna Taylor. And no one's organizing for us. No one's protesting for us. And the WNBA was honestly one of the first groups to be like, no, like Breonna Taylor, yes, we are glad that you know things started moving for George Floyd, but Brianna Taylor still needs justice and we're not even talking about her. Like we don't right. need to talk about her. So I was just I- impressed by the education of these women. Like a lot of people don't even know that they were meeting with the families of victims. Like they met with Michelle Cousseau's mom and Um, you know, Breonna Taylor's mother, and they were meeting with Stacey Abrams and elected officials outside the bubble. Like they were doing the work, like they know their stuff. And whether it was Reverend Warnock and and meeting with him and, and really keeping a pulse on what's happening here in Georgia, I'm just amazed with what they were able to do around social justice and how they fearlessly raised awareness. Because as you guys know, everyone could just dismiss black women. We could just forget about Brianna Taylor. We could forget about the WNBA, but these women, every opportunity they had made sure that uh, that wasn't going to happen. And um, I, I just have probably never been as proud of this league as I
2: was this summer. And, and Fallon, she brought up um, the whole Raphael Warnock, Reverend Warnock and how that played a role in the WNBA. And going back to the Atlanta dream, um, Kelly Loeffler, one of the co-owners of the Atlanta Dream. She used to employ both of us. I really just want to know your feelings on the entire situation, because just a little bit of background, Kelly Loeffler, senator for Georgia, um, she's a Republican, Trump supporter, and she really didn't believe in the Black Lives Matter movement. She still doesn't, um, but she's a co-owner of a WNBA team, who's predominantly Black here in Atlanta. So your feelings, now that we no longer work for the Dream anymore, what are some of your feelings on that situation and the players asking for her to sell her ownership and the team, and even the players wearing the, the Warnock t shirts in the bubble? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
1: was disgusted by Kelly Leffler's comments, and I still am. Like, honestly, every time I see her, I'm like physically sick. Um, you know, this came out of. Left field for me because I mean I watched her hand Stacey Abrams an award at center court at an Atlanta Dream game like she mm-hmm. wants at least very well pretended to know what the WNBA was about. Now you can have your own beliefs and whatever you feel you know. Unfortunately, the racist um, tone of what she talks about and just everything is, is is very sad. But keep that away from a league that. Is opposite of everything that you feel passionate about, right? Like, this is just not the place for you. Do that somewhere else. And I think that's the message that the women were sending was like, okay, that's fine if you don't believe in the Black Lives Matter movement, then move along, right? You know, that's fine. You know, all of, I mean, it's just everything that she has talked about has been very divisive. Like, she says that, oh, this is for the unity and this, we're bringing people together. What people? Your people? Like, and so it, it's almost an embarrassment to the WNBA to have someone associated with the league where she her views are not even close to the players on her own team. And I think what the worst part of all this is, she hasn't even been willing to have a conversation with them. Renee Montgomery mm-hmm. reached out very early and said, let's talk about this. And she wouldn't even do that. Like, where is your value for black women?
0: Right, right. And um, Renee Montgomery, she was on the podcast and, and she spoke a little bit about that whole, you know, transition and how she did reach out. You know, she penned an open letter about it. And um, I'll applaud Renee. Just She was one of the players that opted out, decided not to play this season, but has been huge just with her initiatives. Like, remember the 3rd of November initiative and more than a vote, teaming up with LeBron James and other athletes just to express the importance of voting because, Kelly Loeffler is a conservative, a Trump supporter and is divisive. And it was just, you know, interested that she said the Black Lives Matter logo on the court. It made the WNBA look divisive and not united, which was crazy to me. Um, But I just applaud what the league did, because if anything, the WNBA has always been about supporting any group that is not treated right in this country, they're a hundred percent down. That's what's amazing compared to any other professional sport. They were all in on this one, and I think that's what made their message so powerful during this movement and during this pandemic. So yeah. but
1: they're so they're all yeah. marginalized. He's yes, black, they're women. You know, many of them identify as LGBTQ plus. You know, right. it's, there's a there's a so many layers up of how these women are marginalized so they know how it feels to be left out and forgotten. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's dope with it done.
0: Yeah. Well, moving on to, we were talking about COVID-19 and the pandemic. We talked about the WNBA, the NBA bubble, no positive test as well. So it seems like the NBA and the WNBA are the blueprint for how you need to have sports during a pandemic. Uh So I applaud that, but moving, you also, do broadcast analyst work for college women's basketball. So how do you think college basketball is going to handle it? We see what's been going on with football. Florida just had 19 players test positive this past week. Ten more had contact tracing, so that's 29 players out this week with the game against LSU that I think was postponed. So just tell us, do you think women's basketball or basketball in general for college is going to happen this season?
1: That's a good question, Fallon. And honestly, I don't know. Um, You know, I think we're learning something different about COVID-19 by the day in terms of how it's going to ebb and flow. And right now, um, you know, our our country is experiencing a rise in cases. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so if if you had asked me this way back when, you know, it looked like we were on the down tilt. Um, you know, I would have said, yeah, I feel pretty confident, especially with the bubble model. And I don't know what the NCAA, I'm sure they're considering a bubble with the success of the WNBA, the NBA. I don't know how they're going to pull it off. Um, you know, I've heard that not only obviously are they starting November 25th, which is a little bit later, but some schools consider just no non-conference games at all waiting till like January to start. Um, I've heard some schools talking about doing small bubbles within a conference. Um, for example, say ACC possibly, and this is not official from them, but you know, having a bubble in North Carolina. I think the bubble system is the only way it's going to work, um, mm. to be quite honest. I just don't know what that should look like. And my hope is just that you know, the student-athletes are put first. Every day we're hearing about someone who had COVID that's now experiencing some crazy symptom. Yesterday, I heard of someone who's now, like, partially paralyzed. Um, and people whose lung function has decreased or someone who's experiencing heart issues after, after COVID. I mean, there are athletes that are having like coming up with these heart conditions after, you know, healing from COVID-19. So, like, what are we doing?
2: You
1: know, especially right. when
2: these student athletes are exactly that they're they're student athletes, so it's a mess. Right? You know, piggybacking off of that, I, I I think that one good thing that could possibly come out of this is that the NCAA will have no choice but to become unified mm. because you have to find a system that works for everybody. Because you've got some college campuses that are online only, some college campuses where students are actually going in to classes. So when you consider a bubble environment, it's like, how do you make that work with students who aren't just online classing it and actually have to go in physically? Like, how can that possibly work? And so the NCAA hasn't really been unified in the past, and all the rules have been different. So I'm excited to see how they're going to, and this isn't really a question, it's just me, like, you know, hypothesizing. I want to know how they're going to handle this. And I I really feel like something positive could come out of it as far as them being unified in the way they go forward in the future.
1: Yeah, because to your point, I mean, resources aren't equal. No. You know? I've heard stories of HBCUs that have to cancel their non-conference games with Power 5 schools because they don't have the money for testing. And there is, a lot of these schools have developed this, this protocol or this standard that if you're, we're going to play you. This is, has to be your test schedule leading up to, and some of these schools can't afford it. And that's where they
0: get their money too, playing those power five schools. So. Right.
1: Those guarantees. So it's, it's really it's. I don't know how they're going to do it, but, um, you know, I do hope that whatever the student athletes want to happen eventually gets to happen. But in some cases, actually, let me just say, I believe that the health officials should have the final say. Mm. I don't care what they want to do, okay? Because when y'all were 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, y'all thought y'all knew what y'all wanted to do. I'm like, listen, no, <laughs> okay? Someone's got a, a, a medical officials with a pandemic have to step in and make the right
0: choice. Right, I mean, I know my mom probably would have pulled me. I remember when it was like a meningitis scare when I was in college. You gonna go get tested now? I was like, whoa, yeah. okay? So um, I can't even imagine being a college athlete during this pandemic. It's yeah, crazy. Y'all would have been
3: out, Okay. <laughs> but- no,
0: Cora, Cora would have said, "Stay there, uh, Wayne." Uh, uh, y'all, all of y'all would have been out. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, man. So, uh, women of color in broadcasting. So, you're a woman of color. You know, it was a time. Probably, I know, growing up in the '90s or just growing, not in the '90s, what kind of yeah, '80s, '90s. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I forget how old I am sometimes, but, you know, just growing up in Atlanta, let me say that. I remember hearing Robin Roberts on V103, then you used to see her on 11 Alive, mm-hmm. then next thing you know, she's with ESPN. You're like, what? where did this even transition? But she was one of the focal points of watching football. You know, you would see Pam Oliver on the sideline or Lisa Salters with the NBA or other sports. Um, and Cheryl Miller, who I forgot about, who was huge, I mean, she used to broadcast NBA games, and I'm like, yo, what happened to Cheryl Miller? You don't see her much anymore doing it, but you know, it's been a time, those were the four main ones I remember growing up, just seeing on television, and now you have the likes of Maria Taylor, you know, Kara Lawson before she took the Duke job recently, um, Jamel Hill, Carrie Champion, Taylor Rooks, Sage Steele, just to name a few, and yourself. So, You know, tell us about this transition and how, you know, more women of color are now you're seeing them in broadcasting. They're getting opportunities.
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, I think it's a number of things. Um, I think there is, there are more Black men and women in decision-making positions than there were 15, 20 years ago. So that has helped, we still are nowhere near where we need to be. Um, but I think that's been something that's helped. I also think the athlete relationships with a lot of Black women has been a trend that has has really, um, to me, taken off, especially when you think about someone like Taylor, Taylor Rooks, for example, who can get an interview with just about anyone. Um, the relationship development, just that kind of, I guess, different cultural dynamic that exists with a lot of... Um, you know, black women and black athletes has become very apparent because as you guys know, these days, it's not just about sports. It's about culture. It's about hip hop. It's like the intersection of so many things that black women are truly experts in, right? This is not something we have to study. This is who we are. Um, but it still is, is not where it needs to be. You know, I, a major shout out to all of those women, because let me tell you, it's hard like it is really hard to be the only black face in front of the camera and sometimes behind the camera on your whole project. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I think you see women like Jamel Hill and Carrie taking control of, um, you know, their own brand and creating their own product. And that's another piece of advice that I would give, you know, like we've talked about, you know, what, what should you do if you're in late in your career, you're trying to get in broadcasting like start creating your own stuff like this. Like this is great. Like this is awesome. Like allow people to become a fan of you and your work and what you do and what you're passionate about. Allow people to get to know you. We're not living in a time anymore where you have to wait for someone to call you for someone Mm -hmm. to see your face or hear your opinion. Now we have social media where whatever you have an opinion on, you can put it out there like on your own. And Um, You know, I think that's how a lot of black women have also gotten on the radar as they've created and curated their own um, their own content. And, you know, numbers don't lie. People want to hear from them. People want to hear their voices. Athletes want to be on their shows. And so, um, you know, it's it's definitely shifting. And those women and you can't even. I can't even imagine what someone like Robert Roberts or Lisa Salters um, has had to go through to get to where they are, because it's it's harder than you can imagine. I mean, right. the, um, the racial undertones and and just
2: it's a lot. It's a lot. Mm. And well, China, that was my next question to you was how do you navigate um, in a situation like this? So and this is part of the question where I'm asking for advice, but I'm also asking for advice for me as well as the audience. When it comes to creating your own content, how do you manage to stay focused and focus on your brand and not get distracted? But for somebody like me who likes to do different things, like I like to build stuff, I love animals, I love sports. How do you go about navigating that path of putting out the content that you want? but still streamlining it so that it has a purpose and a focus, like staying on track. And I'll give you an example, like for right now with broadcasting and sports, of course, I love sports. I want to stay with it, but I'm also an engineer and I want to start my own construction company and building things. So how can those two things navigate? This is something that I'm processing constantly, but for someone like me, how do you manage to keep that focus and make sure you stay on track?
1: Yeah. I mean, what I love about our, you know, well, my generation, y'all's generation is that, you know, our parents were one that said, you know, you get a job, you get a good job with good benefits and you go to work every day.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're coming up at a time where you don't just have to have one job, but you can have multiple streams of income. You can be interested in a number of things and you can be an expert in, you know, speaking and broadcasting and building or whatever it else, whatever it is that you want to do. But in terms of how to execute it, I do think it's important to become an expert at one thing. Like whatever that one thing is, become an expert at that one thing because what that does is it anchors your finances. Um, It then is one place that you can always come to, fall back on, um, something that, you know, you've kind of can build your brand around. And to me, all other, other opportunities come. So I'll give you an example. Like, you know, like Fallon mentioned, I love speaking, and you know, there's a lot of other work that I I love to do, whether that's you know, keynotes or panels or whatever. But it started with becoming an expert in broadcasting and really anchoring myself in that one space because I do believe in the um, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. But I believe you just have to be a master of one, Mm -hmm. and because in the climate of what we're seeing happening with jobs, and sometimes they're available, sometimes they're not. You know, definitely flaky out here in the broadcasting world in terms of your longevity. So, always having something that anchors you that you know you can do, can go back to it. Maybe it is broadcasting, but just making sure that um, you have that thing. And what I will say, Tab, is that, you know, having a pulse on what it is that's driving you at the moment. Like, I can't say to you, Tab, you need to spend this many number of hours doing engineering and then spend this many of hours doing broadcasting. Your drive and what you're just drawn to is going to tell you where you need to be, period. Like, I used to wake up and could not wait to watch a game or watch an interview back or I could not wait to send an email out to that next person. It was just natural. Now, yes, some of the things you have to remind yourself and push yourself to do. But if you really, really want to do it, then you will. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really that's really how I feel about it. Um, you know, but I, I do think that you can juggle all of those things. But I do. I am a firm believer that while while you're doing becoming a chef or learning how to, you know, a driving instructor or whatever. You should always have that one thing to consider home. Um, where you can make the money to stay st- stable um, while you're chasing your other pursuits.
3: Mm.
1: That's just my philosophy.
2: That's
0: some great advice. That's key. So Latina, I always like to end the show with the talk that talk questions, the triple T Q. So right. I'm going to ask you three questions and you just give me off the top of your head, your response. So, what advice would you give to aspiring broadcast analysts? Advice that I would give to an aspiring
1: broadcast analyst is be your authentic self. Um, that's the only skin you're you're ever going to be comfortable in. Mm.
3: Yes,
0: yeah, that's, that's true. That's good <laughs> advice. You gotta be you gotta be comfortable in your own skin. So. What effect do you hope rising media stars will have on women of color?
1: I hope we see more women of color in television, in broadcasting, in news, you know, sports broadcasting, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I think it's important right now for us to just really celebrate and see Black women everywhere. I know. Like,
3: we've Love just on it.
1: opportunities, we've earned it, and unfortunately, we've been slighted and cheated. And so... I'm just all about bringing up that next generation of women who love themselves, who are confident, that have a sisterhood that take pride in being a black woman. That when somebody says, are you wearing your hair like that on air? They say, yes. Yes.
3: And And so
1: I'm excited about, about that. That's what gets me up every day and gets me thinking about rising media stars is the impact that those women will then have on the world. When someone turns on television, they're like, you know what? Black women are dope.
0: Because ah, we are. Exactly. we are. Yes. And what is the legacy you want to leave for future generations?
1: The legacy that, um, you know, I want to leave is that I'm just an average girl that works really hard. You know, like when you look at my resume... You're not going to see any NCAA tournament appearances. You're not going to see any gold medals, no championships. Um, you know, I come from a family of 15. My dad didn't even graduate from high school. Um, you know, it, it. It. my story is not one that you're going to pick out in a book and say, okay, she's going to make it. But whatever your story is, if you embrace it and you work hard enough, then you can get to where you want to be. And, you know, that's my hope, that my legacy is, is that, um, the average girl can make it too. Um, you know, and, uh, and sometimes when we look out in the world, you say, Okay, well, I don't know if I could be this person because they had that or they accomplished that. Um, you know, I I, I pinch myself sometimes when I say I'm sitting next to Rebecca Lobo and she's a Hall of Famer, like, how did I get here?
3: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and it's definitely just God's favor. First and foremost, let me, I can't say that enough because every door that's ever been open for, for me in broadcasting has been him, definitely not me. Cause I've had to look up sometimes and be like, Oh, you did that. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I just hope that my, my legacy is of someone of faith who is just an everyday girl that worked hard.
0: Mm. I think that's so key. Cause um, you're right. You don't see people like you every day in broadcasting. It's usually the ones who are Hall of Famers or just players who are in broadcasting for sports or the ones who played a long time. So it's refreshing. Or those, broad-
1: or those broadcast majors that we didn't end up... Playing. Yeah, communications. <laughs> I was like, no. Nah, right, I have nothing on the checklist, but I'm still making even without all of that. Like that's that's what I hope the legacy is.
0: Ah, that's awesome. Well, I am so happy you were able to come on the show. Um, you know, yeah. I asked you, you accepted. I was like, great, I got La China. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to save you for a special day, La China. But um, I'm so happy you could join us. And it was great to reminisce and just talk about some things and catch up. But we always, are. I always love having you or talking with you. You always give some fantastic advice. And you've been a big sister to me, too, just since Ben Hill days. I forgot about that. I was going to say, I thought you could was- get on me.
1: We're gonna bring up Ben Hill. I should have bought a little team picture on here so everyone
0: can see it. But oh, man let me okay I will tell this story but Lachina Robinson was like coach Robinson and <laughs> me and Alex Stewart we were still kind of young maybe 22, 23 but lachyna's only a year older so it's not like she was old and um, no, no. she's like, we're going to get the team together. We got to win Ben Hill League. And I'm like, man, OK, I'll play in this little league. So, But it was always the best league to play in. You would have women who played overseas, played in WNBA. They would come who yeah. So we had this team. And I remember one year we lost. And I couldn't believe we lost. They cheated us. The rest were always horrible. But Latina's like, we're going to come back this last year and get this championship. And she was on this tab. We had practice. We like practice. <laughs> we <had> practice. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and just shoot. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to score. That's all I know how to do. But we won that championship thanks to LaChina's guidance. We finally got that trophy for Ben Hill.
1: Listen, I, <laughs> one thing about me is I am super competitive. Like, right. period. Like, whatever I'm doing, I definitely want to win. But Fallon, out yeah. to you because Danielle was really
3: a huge pickup for us. <laughs> My and cousin. We yeah. need her. Danielle, wherever
1: you are, Fallon's cousin, like, don't don't sleep on that acquisition either that definitely helped to put us over the top. But yeah. those were the days. If they would have never stole my car from Ben Hill, I would probably <laughs> have still been playing in the
3: league. So, you got your horse
1: though? <coughs> uh Ben they Hill sold. they took my and get in the car, stole it. I had laundry in there. I had oh girl, it was, it was
3: bad. <laughs> Don't you
1: like, talk about Ben Hill League like that, I was just playing no, but uh yeah. It's not the safest. But but it's fun. But it's
0: fun. That league was fantastic. Well, I, I don't know if it's still going. to South Carolina. I saw be- that. I remember Sherry. I saw that on IG, no, and I was like, I Sherry, you got a baby going to college? Oh, that's crazy. She yeah, was good. good. <laughs> yeah, she's one of the top recruits. Like <laughs> she's legit. But, but I'm not you- surprised. Her parents were good. I mean, they yeah, can also say she goes
1: tall. Sherry was a really good player. But I did want to say to you guys, like. Um, I know you kind of feel like you're in the grind of this broadcasting thing, but there are young girls looking up to y'all too. Like saying, "Hey, balance do the radio," or you know, we see Tab covering Lord. Tab is the most versatile.
3: Lacrosse, yeah. like, wow. <laughs>
1: like that seriously, like legit. What you guys are doing is is great, and the way you continue to go after your dreams, whether it's there or engineering or law, like y'all are, y'all are so dope. And I'm so proud of both of you and everything you're doing. And, um, you know, I'm here if you can, if you ever need help or
2: need anything. Ah, so. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And Fallon, yeah, you're definitely seriously dope because you combined your attorney stuff that you do on TV with court TV and you still do that. We didn't mention that, but Fallon has already merged those two and I'm very proud of you as well. So
0: Yes, Alan. It's a grind. I'm trying to get in where I can fit in.
1: That's all you can do. I love it. I need to check out some of those court TV clips. I need yeah, to. Yeah,
0: sometimes they can be interesting. It'll be some crazies on there with me, and I'm like, mm. you know, you want you want to go hard. They want you to go hard sometimes. Uh, but it just depends on the climate because you don't want to look too crazy on national TV. I don't realize how many people watch court TV. You know, since oh, it came yes. back, they watch yeah. it. It's a huge following. Those cases are crazy.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome
0: that's dope man I need to check it out <laughs> well again Latina thanks for joining the show and we'll have you back anytime Tab you know you're always welcome thanks again for co-hosting with me of course, course guys right. Right. Happy, Saturday. happy Saturday see y'all later all right. Well, that's episode 15 of Talk That Talk with Fallon Stokes, your host. You know, we coming back with the trend. It's been about a week. We took a week off, but this is episode 15. So I hope you enjoy this interview we had with China Robinson and co-host this week, special co-host Tabitha Turner. But we want to continue the trend like we do every week. And I'm always shouting out a black business. This week, the black business I'm shouting out is Dream Catchers ENT. It's a duo with Sabrina and Gary. They're photographers. They specialize in photography. And you need to check them out. If you need to get your holiday photographs, you want to get some cool headshots, or if you even want to get some candidates to put on Instagram or just put on uh, Facebook or just to have period. It's always great to have a great photograph if you need to send out so someone can see how you're looking. But this duo, they did a great job. I had a photo shoot this past week. Where they did some candid, some headshots, and some shots that I'll be putting out for the podcast and just for myself in general. But if you wanna see the great work that Sabrina and Gary are doing, go check them out on IG. Their handle is simply Dream Catchers E N T. Dream spelled D R E A M. Catchers C A T C H E R S E N T. And if you wanna to go to their website, it's Dream Catchers E N T. Dot com. So go check out this duo, see the work they're doing. And that is the Black Business shout out for the week. Want to end the show just saying we appreciate Lachina Robinson joining the show this week, as well as Tabitha Turner with the co-host. Great information gave broadcast analysts, women and women in general, women of color, That is a woman that you need to see, watch out for, and just listen in the future. She's a great mentor to a lot of young women, Black women in the community. And we appreciate LaChina Robinson for the work that she's doing. But we're going to continue the trend, continue with the podcast. We'll have a great episode for episode 16. So see you next week. Take care.